And I am Brandon, uh, Brandon Bennett. I'm the Young Adult and College Minister. I primar primarily help out at the 5 o'clock service and uh, also trying to develop Young Adult and College Ministry. So been here for almost a year. Um, so welcome to the Advent. Good to see you guys. Uh, so Matt, I think last week, I'll just jump right in because time flies, especially when I start talking, since I talk a lot. Um, as a word of warning, uh, I think Matt last week talked about uh, there is no health in us, um, which covered uh, sort of anthropology or, or the understanding of what mankind is, who mankind is, our sin, uh, and who we were created to be. And so he's asked me this week to... Uh, to talk about Jesus. What's Jesus got to do with it? So, to begin with, I thought about singing Tina Turner's What's Love Got to Do With It to introduce it, since it's called What's Jesus Got to Do With It, but I thought I'd spare you. So, um, anyway, what we're discussing is what is the gospel? Um, I wanted a dry erase board, but I didn't get that. I got electronic stuff, so I'll use pages here to... For us to sketch out, um, if I can, if I can find my cursor, uh, so what is the what is the gospel? So I, I actually want this to be interactive time for us to think through, when you hear the word gospel, what does that mean? What are some answers? And it can be like what you've heard other people say, what you think it means. It can be a one-word answer. Good news. Good news. What else did I hear? The word of God. Okay. What else do we have? It's okay to have a wrong answer too, right? It can be a wrong answer. Uh, church music. Church music. That one's not one that I thought of. Okay. Anything else? Jesus. Saving grace. If I can spell saving. Alright, so uh, so what else do we have? We have good news, word of God, church music, Jesus, saving grace. Anything else? Outside of the church, you can use it as an as a adjective to say like... Gospel truth. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, one I saw right before Christmas that I won't forget too quickly is uh, uh, it was a sign. Um, it was clearly playing off Santa. Uh, there's still time to get off the naughty list. So I might, I might add that. So you've been bad and get better. Anything else? Well, um, all right, so I think everyone has uh, three sheets of paper. So what I want us to do is to sort of think about some of the things we've listed here and now start comparing to what others have said. So you have this one that says Mike McCarg's Axioms of Faith. Um, and Mike McCarg used to be a Baptist, grew up Baptist, then became an atheist, and now is coming back to the Christian faith, he says. And um, 
He has a podcast called The Liturgist Podcast. I don't know if anyone's heard of it. Uh, may not be that popular, but actually I was at TED Talk, the TED Talks yesterday, and ran into someone, and he asked me, have you heard of The Liturgist Podcast? So it is out there, and people listen to it. So it's called The Liturgist Podcast. And, uh, and this guy has developed uh, these axioms of faith. So I bolded the two that I really want to pay attention to, unless you guys have questions about the others. So let me read this one, since we're talking about what is the gospel, what, what does Jesus have to do with it? So he says, Salvation is at least the means by which humanity overcomes sin to produce human flourishing. Even if this is all salvation is, spiritual and religious actions and beliefs that promote salvation are good for humankind. Alright, so stop. So, if we're making a list, and we're discussing, like, what is salvation? What, what, is, what is the gospel? What, what, in his mind, is the gospel? So, salvation is the means by which humanity overcomes sin to produce human flourishing. Why, okay, why do you think it's incorrect? Because we can't overcome our sin. That's why we need Jesus. Absolutely. Good answer. Um, Are you interchanging gospel for salvation? Well, but there's something acting behind salvation, right? Uh, so, so not exactly, uh, because he has an understanding of the gospel that's functioning behind his description of salvation, if that makes sense. He's assuming what the gospel is. Well, well let's go on to the next one, since that's more focused on what's the gospel. So... So Jesus is at least a man so connected to God that he was called the Son of God and the largest religious movement in history is centered around his teachings. Even if this is all Jesus is, following his teachings can promote peace, empathy, and genuine morality. Alright, so, so this is a popular millennial, like people my age like to listen to it. Uh, this is a popular podcast, and and what is this this guy on this podcast promoting? Um, what is the gospel according to to his? What, what's his understanding of the gospel? Like you, yeah, I mean that that well, I mean that just basically says Jesus was a good guy and did good things, and we should all try and do good things. Yeah, that's, so that's Jesus far did from the gospel. And the genuine morality just. Yeah. So morality. Genuine morality. Like it's got to come from the good place. Say that again. Oh, that's interesting that you pulled that out. Do you want to? Do you want to say more about that? Well, I see you've got on the on the background there the. The various creeds. Uh huh. Arianism is the is the belief put forth that we that that God was not one person in three. That Jesus was actually a human being who was adopted late in life by Jesus. That was repudiated at the Council of Chalcedon, and later repudiated in the the, the Nicene or as they call it the Constantinople Nicene Creed, which uh-huh. sets forth the full statement of, of the the Belief in the Trinity. Yeah. If, if you're if you're a real 
masochist, she can turn to the back of the prayer book and read the Athanasian Creed uh, if you've got about a half an hour right. to sit right. down and try to figure out that thing all the way through. Right. But it's in the back of the prayer book and the historical document says it's a statement of the Council of Chalcedon. Yeah. Well, thank you. It's an under historical document. Thank you. It's under historical document. Back with the 39 articles. So that's a good point that you raise. So, so when he says Jesus is at least a man so connected to God that he was called the Son of God, well, actually, according to church history, and I'm not talking about according to Brandon's church. Uh, and I'm not even just talking about the Advent. I'm talking about Eastern Orthodoxy, Catholic, and Protestant. All areas of the church agree that this would be a heretical statement. So he's actually saying he's coming back to Christianity, but actually he's espousing a heresy uh, that was rejected uh, back, what, around the year 400 or so. So Jesus is just a man in his... He's just a spiritual man... And what does he do? He, he leads a religious movement, and he actually gives teachings. So you see, Jesus is just a teacher. Jesus has come just to teach us stuff. Um, it's like, well, our problem is we're just a little uneducated. So we need to be educated a little bit more on how to act. Um, and, and we need uh, some more peace, some empathy, and some genuine morality. Yeah. Yeah, so like what's the difference? We're really deep in our self help and then we'll get over our, our sin or we'll overcome our sin. Right. This reads like a, a primer for an atheist to either get along with or have pity on their Christian counterparts. This reads like it's a, it's a belittling intellectual statement. It's, you know, don't don't hate Christians. Because you know, at least this is a good guy. Let's don't let's don't bash the whole religion because it's a good set of rules to follow. It's a good example. Even if you're atheist, you ought to. This guy did good things. You should do good things. Uh, right. It's very heretical. Uh, this the whole whole primary. It just seems like that's what it was written for. Uh huh. For a crowd that's so smart. Uh huh. That us dumb Christians, you know, at least now we can understand where they're coming from. Right, right, and that's that's a good point. So he probably did write it for atheists to sort of be non, you know, he didn't want to be very uh, non-confrontational, I guess. But sadly, he's espousing a heretical point of view. And so when you see that Jesus is just a man, he's just one of us who has a little bit higher of a connection with God, well, what happens? He's... I mean, actually, what does salvation become? It really just becomes nothing more than keeping the law. Uh, it's just another self-salvation story. Um, yeah. James said, uh, he said Oprah, which I think is a good point. And it made me think of the commercial that Oprah's done lately. I don't know if you guys have seen this, but it like kills me every time. She's like, I love bread. I love yeah. bread. And she's like, but now I manage it. And I'm like... Do you? And like, what? What is that? What are you really selling? I don't know. It's such, it's such a funny commercial, but I feel like it is very much like like sin, but just don't have too much. You know, like have a good time, but not too much. Um, and I feel like that's kind of what this is: is like, you know, just as long as you're genuine, 
then you're probably pretty moral. Or, you know, I mean, it's like uh-huh. a rationalization and a measuring out of what's good enough versus, like, an understanding of the depth of sin. Like, you can't overcome sin. Right. Like, just work out a little more and it'll go away. Right. Yeah, we, we need help. Yeah. We, we have to come to an end of ourselves. Um, so Matt, uh, talked to you last week about sin and kind of going off what, uh, what Holly was talking about, uh, and just referring to the book of common prayer. Um, so the father that, or the father, I, I read the father, the prayer that we, uh, we pray in the communion service, um, you know, it's, it's have mercy on us. Uh, our burden is intolerable, uh, you know, we are miserable sinners. So the prayer is leading us as a community to say, we need help, right? We can't save ourselves. So after we've been led into that, uh, we hear the pardon uh, from the minister, and he gives the, uh, the comfortable words. And he says, hear the word of God to all who truly turn to him. Come unto me, all uh, ye that travail and are heavy laden, and I will refresh you. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, to the end that all believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is a true saying and worthy of all men to be received that Christ Jesus came into the world to be to be uh, to to save sinners. So so Jesus has come not to just give us a little boost. He's not come to give us some Red Bull, right? Uh, which is kind of what Mike McCarg thinks. He's actually come to rescue us. Um, we are totally. Uh, I guess the analogy might be we are France in, in World War II. We need someone from the outside to come rescue us. And this is who Jesus is. Uh, he is God come to us in the flesh. And it is his story. Um, it, it's not our salvation story. Um, and you see that in, in the Book of Common Prayer, which we use every, every week. Uh, well, since it's 1030... Um, or almost 10:30. So let's look. Let's look at Luther. So Martin Luther is the reformer. Martin Luther. Um, he was a preacher and uh, and a theologian. And I think this is pretty practical uh, for us to read. So start where it says page 94 up at the top. I'll just read this out loud. Uh, not quite to the end. So let's ask ourselves, what is, so we've, we've asked ourselves, what does Mike McCarg say the gospel is, which is teaching and morality? Now what does Luther say it is? So beginning at the top, <clears throat> just as the Old Testament is a book in which are written God's laws and his commandments, together with the history of those who kept and of those who did not keep them, so the New Testament is a book in which are written the gospel and the promises of God together with the history of those who believe and of those who do not believe them. For gospel is a Greek word and means in Greek a good message, good tidings, good news, a good report, which one sings and tells with gladness. For example, when David overcame the great Goliath, there came among the Jewish people the good report and encouraging news that their terrible enemy had been struck down, and that they had been rescued and given joy and peace. And they sang and danced and were glad for it. Thus, this gospel of God, or New Testament, is a good story and report, sounded forth into all the world by the apostles, 
telling of a true David, who strove with sin, death, and the devil, and overcame them, and thereby rescued all those who were captive in sin, afflicted with death, and overpowered by the devil. Without any merit of their own, he made them righteous, gave them life, saved them, so that they were given peace and brought back to God. For this they sing and thank and praise God and are glad forever, if only they believe firmly and remain steadfast in faith. This report and encouraging tidings or evangelical and divine news is also called a New Testament. A testament is when a dying man bequeaths his property after his death to his legally defined heirs. And Christ, before his death, commanded and ordained that this gospel be preached after his death in the entire world. Thereby he gave to all who believe, as their possession, everything that he had. This included his life in which he swallowed up death, his righteousness by which he blotted out sin, and his salvation with which he overcame everlasting damnation. A poor man, dead in sin and consigned to hell, can hear nothing more comforting than this precious and tender message about Christ. From the bottom of his heart, he must laugh and be glad over it, if he believes it true. Um, let's just uh, skip to the back. So if you flip the page, we, I mean, those are really good to read, those paragraphs, but uh, just for time's sake. If you skip down to like the third paragraph or so, um, second, no, third full paragraph. The gospel, then, is nothing but the preaching about Christ, Son of God and of David, true God and man, who by his death and resurrection has overcome for us the sin, death, and hell of all men who believe in him. Thus, the gospel can be either a brief or lengthy message. One person can write of it briefly, another at length. Um, and then up at the top, on the right, um, we could say, for the gospel does not expressly demand works of our own by which we become righteous and are saved. Indeed, it condemns such works. Rather, the gospel demands faith in Christ, that he has overcome for us sin, death, and hell, and thus gives us righteousness, life, and salvation, not through our works, but through his own works, death, and suffering, in order that we may avail ourselves of his death and victory as though we had done it ourselves. So we'll stop there. So, so what does Luther say? What does Martin Luther say the gospel is? It's a good message, good tidings. That's up at the top uh, where we began. Good message, good tidings, good news, good report. Um, and did you all see, by the way, how he talked about David, David from 1 Samuel, which is interesting given most sermons from the Old Testament. How did he talk about David, King David from Israel? So this is, on, this is like the third paragraph down on that first page. So, so, so third paragraph, thus this gospel of God or New Testament is a good story and report sounded forth into all the world by the apostles telling of a true David. So telling of a true David who strove with sin, death, and the devil and overcame them and thereby rescued. So, so it's interesting to me that in light of a lot of sermons that I've heard who 
um, you know, might use Old Testament figures as examples for us to emulate. He actually, uh, and if a lot of the things that we skipped here, it's interesting as you read his understanding of the Old Testament, Jesus is actually the true David. So you see his whole reading of the Bible is about God's story. It's about what God does. It's not David and Moses and Abraham, etc., etc., primarily for us to emulate them. No, it's actually Jesus is the true and greater David. Jesus is the true and greater Moses. He has fulfilled that role. So, so you see, like, the Bible is all Jesus' story. It's all God's story. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, their salvation story. Any, any sort of reactions to that? Or anything anyone want to add that they found interesting from reading that? He's equating Goliath with the devil in the same way that Jesus slayed. Uh huh. I've never thought about that. That's uh, awesome. Yeah, yeah. So David, David overcoming Goliath is to be read is to be read in a very Christ-centered way for us as Christians. David overcoming Goliath is is pointing forward to the true and greater David to overcome our Goliath, to overcome the one who keeps us captive. Um, Jesus is the allies, to put it in modern terms, the allies coming to rescue enslaved France. He is coming to rescue us from the outside and defeat defeat our enemy. I think the sharing of the good news has become understood by many non-Christians or people who have the church as sort of like a come and be like me or like you're wrong and here's how you need to write or some sort of judgment and condemnation when I think the way he's talking about it is like the gospel is <coughs> deeply and truly a rich gift that you just can't help but share. Mm-hmm. You know, pointing to the fire escape when the whole house is on fire. It's not correction or like a condom yeah I, I feel like the understanding a lot of people have is that if you're a Christian you're a good person or whatever and it's, that's great for you but don't make me do what you do kind of. right this is not trying to say that at all it's saying I have the way out you know um, right know of who is the way out and yeah it is genuinely good news right it's an announcement so you see, someone said this a while back and it made sense to me. So you see like, um, well, if you just take some of the ones, I mean, y'all were really good and uh, you're all theologically astute. So you only gave me, well, Matt's was a little off, but you know, you have good news, the word from God. So, so God speaking, Jesus, saving grace. Um, but you know, if you take like getting off the naughty list, right, that's... What is that? That's good advice. And that's often what you hear from so many people. And if you actually ask people, you know, familiar with Christianity enough to be dangerous. And we tell th- it to ourselves. Yeah, and we tell it to ourselves. I mean, that's a good point. Like, you know, it's just on an everyday basis. Yeah. When you feel your sin, you despair and you think, I mean, I do this. Uh, I think if only I could be better, God would love me more. Or I feel the distance uh, uh, between me and not, uh, me and God. Um, and so I think if only I were better, He might love me more. I might I might sense the 
the the experience that I once had, um, and and that's just not true. That's a lie. Um, and, and the good news is to call us outside of ourselves to no longer look inside here. It's not good advice for me to get better. It's good news. It's an announcement. Um, it happens outside of you. Um, well, uh, any questions at this point? Any thoughts? Sure. You speak all you want. in my heart toward the person that is espousing false, uh, false information. And yet what it should do, and it does eventually, I just want to do it quicker for me, is to drive me to prayer and I ask God, you know, God, this man is, is off. But I start actually kind of hating this man for putting out this information because of the people who are going to go with it. And yet, I find that if I don't spend time in the morning, just me and God, talking to God, which is prayer, and allowing Him to change me early in the morning, and we all know this, and I know it, and I don't so often, I, I find that I think I can handle today without that. But mm-hmm. if I've been with God, then I'm more out to think, like I did today, oh, this man really just needs prayer from those around him who know that he's off. Mm-hmm. That he hasn't quite, God hadn't opened his eyes mm-hmm. to the truth about all the things that he's putting out human self-help. Right. You can go a long way on man's wisdom. You can really live a long time in this life and do pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, you can muddle along. Uh-huh. No, no, that's good. Thank you. You can muddle along. And it, um, it's not really until you bottom out that uh, you can receive the good news. Not until you've finally given up on your self-project. Um, yes, sir. I skipped last week when I, I really wanted to come. When you discussed there is no health in us, we had that discussion some years ago in a Bible study here. <clears throat> the no health in us to me means we do not have within our own selves the ability to cure ourselves. To think otherwise is to entertain another of the, of the heresies, which I won't jump into the both <coughs> But when we say that in the general confession, we admit to God and to ourselves, wait a minute, you know, I'm, I'm utterly helpless. And that's the intent of that statement. There is no help in us. And the help means we don't have the ability to cure our own faults. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Anybody else have any comments, questions, concerns? Uh-huh. He died for our sins. He, I mean, you, know, you know the story. But to actually the way they phrased it, dying man bequeathed his property. Uh-huh. To have it phrased so eloquently and simplistically, that really hooked it up to me. That it's the bottom of the first page. That, you know, it's called the Old Testament, the New Testament. I actually think about like, the derivation of that word. That he is bequeathed, like, to break it down so simply that he's bequeathing his righteousness, his own Yeah, and he gives us all that he has. 
everything. He gave us his life, but to think of it as, like that seems like just like, to link that word into it. Right, right. Yeah, it was eye-opening for me several years ago uh, when I realized um, uh, that I, I am righteous because I have Christ. It's not in and of myself, but I can actually finally say, no, I am righteous. Not in and of myself. That, I mean, that's a gospel truth, right? Because he has given me all of his righteousness. Um, Luther and elsewhere talks about the wedding ring of faith. Um, that I, a poor sinner, receive Christ, the rich uh, groom. Um, uh, and we, when we become married, we become so united that all of my sin uh, and every uh, debt, you might say, is given to him, and everything that is his becomes mine. We become so united that I actually can say I own that righteousness. I have that righteousness, not in and of myself, but because Jesus has given it to me. So, um, well, I mean, we have like seven minutes left. Uh, thought maybe we could finish off with a sermon if no one has anything, any other thoughts. I think we can read this quickly enough. Um, so this is by a, a Lutheran theologian uh, who gave this sermon on the death to self. Uh, and it was a Lent sermon, so it's appropriate for us to read. All right, so Gerhard Ferdi's On Death to Self. We speak a good deal during Lent about that supreme mystery of our faith, the death to self. For, as we have heard, he who would save his life shall lose it, and he who loses his life for Jesus' sake shall find it. But what does that really mean, to die to self? Does it mean perhaps selling my car and going on foot or by bus? It might. We can't rule out the possibility. Does it mean perhaps selling my good clothes and furniture so that my wife and I should sit around in rags on orange crates? It might. Certainly we can't dismiss that possibility either. For the problem is that unless words like dying to self are translated into some kind of action or something that... you that usually, excuse me, that actually happens, that is, some real change, they don't have any real meaning. So we certainly must try, eventually, to translate them into the language of action. But before we get too hasty and impatient, there are some things at which we should take a hard look. The first is that we have a rather incurable tendency always to refuse to really listen to the words of God, and instead to translate them immediately into something we are going to do, indeed can do. This is what we always do with the law. We take it and translate it into a do-it-yourself kit for salvation. It is as though we, are, we think we are going to do God a big favor by living up to what is demanded of us, and even possibly put him out of the salvation business by accomplishing all or at least some of it ourselves, even if that turns out to be just a teeny-weeny little bit. But when we do that, we really come a cropper when we come to this word about dying to self. For what can that possibly mean in a do-it-yourself religion? Here, God has set a snare for us in our easy confidence that we are big enough to handle the job. For this is a word that we find difficult to handle. We find ourselves forced either to ignore it, which we mostly do, or to try to cut it down to size so that we can handle it, maybe by selling our car or our furniture or our clothes. 
But even then we can't rest too easily with it, for we are never quite sure that that is enough. For however much discomfort such actions may cause us, is that really dying to self? They may be just another means of keeping myself in the business of doing God big or little favors, and thus of protecting myself from really hearing the words. The trouble is that the self keeps getting in the way. But what then does it really mean? When considering this question, I was struck by some of the incidents recorded in our text for today. For here we have the picture of Jesus on the way to his death. His disciples are with him, and are apparently figuring that they are going to have a hand in what is about to happen. They want to go along. They want to help out and do their bit in the business of bringing in God's kingdom. Even as Peter says in Mark's account, if that means sacrificing their lives. But the really difficult thing for them to take, as I suspect is also for us, as religious people, is that in the final analysis, there is absolutely and utterly nothing they can do. When Jesus sets his face to go to Jerusalem, Peter wants to do something about it. He sets himself in the way and says, God forbid, Lord, don't do it, don't go. Peter wants to do God a favor, to protect and preserve the Messiah and his kingdom. But Jesus looks at him and says, Get thee behind me, Satan, for you are a hindrance to me. You are not on the side of God, but of men. This, Jesus says, is something that must happen. It is going to happen because God wants it, and there is absolutely nothing you can do about it. And at the betrayal in the Garden of Gethsemane, when the crowd comes out against Jesus with swords and clubs, they still want to do something. They still want to do their bit for God. They want to take up the sword and risk their lives, perhaps, and fight. One of them grasps a sword and cuts off the ear of one of the assailants. But Jesus will have none of it. Put up your sword, he says, for there is absolutely nothing you can do. In Luke's account, Jesus even stretches out his hand to undo what the disciples had tried to do. He heals the wounded man. At that point, no doubt, everything within us cries out in protest along with the disciples. Is there nothing we can do? Could we not at least perhaps stage a protest march on God's behalf? Could we not seek, perhaps, an interview with Pilate? Could we not try to influence the power structures? Something, however small? But the unrelenting answer comes back. No, there is nothing you can do, absolutely nothing. If there were something to be done, my father would send legions of angels to fight. But there is nothing to be done. For how, then, should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? And when it finally came to that last and bitter moment, when these good religious men finally realized that there was nothing they could do, they forsook him and fled. Can you see it? Can you see that hidden in these very words, these very events, is that death itself which you fear so much coming to meet you? For there is nothing that the old man, the self which must die, fears so much as having everything taken out of his hands. When they finally saw there was nothing they could do, they forsook him and fled before the awesome truth. You, who presume to do business with God, can you see it? Can you see that this death of self is not, in the final analysis, something that you can do? For the point is that God has once and for all reserved for himself the business of your salvation. There is nothing you can do now, but as the words of the old hymn have it, climb Calvary's mournful mountain and stand with your helpless arms at your side and tremble before that miracle of time, God's own sacrifice complete. It is finished, hear him cry, learn of Jesus Christ to die. Can you see it? Can you see that really the last bitter death is there? 
that in that cross God has stormed the last bastion of the self, the last presumption that you really were going to do something for him. Can you see that the death of Jesus Christ is your death? He has died in your place. He has done it. He made it. He created a salvation in the midst of time and his enemies. He is God happening to you. It is all over, finished between you and God. He died in your place, that death which you must die. He has done it in such a way as to save you. He has borne the whole thing. The fact that there is nothing left for you to do is the death of self and new birth of the new creature. He died to make a new creature of you, and as he arose, to raise you up to trust God alone. If you can see it, perhaps, then you can see, or perhaps at least begin to see, what is the power of God's grace and rejoice, for that is the other side of the coin once you have gotten out of your self-enclosed system. Then perhaps you can turn away from yourself, maybe really for the first time, and look upon your neighbors. Maybe for the first time you can begin to receive creation as a gift, a sheer gift from God's hands. And who knows what might happen in the power of this grace. All possibilities are open. You may sell your car or even give it away for someone else. You might find even that you could swallow your pride and stage a protest march for your neighbor or begin to seek to influence the power structures. For in the power of his cross, the way is open. The way is open to begin at least perhaps in faltering ways, in countless little ways, to realize what it means to die to self. For that, in the final analysis, is his gift to you. The free gift of the new man, the new woman, the one who can live in faith and hope, for whom all possibilities are open. Amen. Anything, anything else before we go? 1051? Yeah, we're, we're out of time. Time? Okay. We might need to go to the 11 o'clock. Um, thanks so much to Brandon. We have to say good